0: Amen. Well, welcome Redemption Arcadia. So glad that you're here today. Uh, My name is Tyler Thompson. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, And um, I wanted to let you know that we are gospel-centered and outward-focused and that we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. And uh, thankful for those of you that are still in town in Phoenix. Uh, We're glad that you're here today. I have just one announcement today, and that is that this is a family Sunday, which means that we'll have uh, kids in the room with us. We do this kind of quarterly as, as as an opportunity to be able to have the whole family t- together. And uh, we think that it's really important uh, to to do that from time to time and have the kids worshiping with us and learning with us and when we learn from e- one another in the generations. So, kids, thanks for being here. Um, appreciate you all. Um, I am... <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, very good. Thank you so much. Um, with that, I know you just got... Um, I know you just got seated and everything, but I'd like to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. So our text this morning comes out of 1 John 2, verses 18 to 27, and I'll read that for us. It says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and all of you have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Amen. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Well, I'm thankful to be able to share with you this last message before I transition into a, a new season of ministry. Uh, some of you are thinking, didn't we say goodbye to this guy last week? <laughs> and it's sort of like when you go to lunch or coffee or a movie with somebody and then you say goodbye to them outside of the shop and then you walk together and realize that you're parked next to one another so you kind of just keep talking anyway. That's kind of what this is like. So, thankful that I get to share, though, uh, from First John. And... Um, I'm also thankful that we've had a reprieve from the heat so far this year, but it's gotten really hot lately, uh, and it's, so I, I came across this uh, news this news post this week and just wanted to share it with you. It said, I'm not saying it's hot in Arizona, but two hobbits just showed up and asked where they should throw the ring. So... Uh, This does have something to do with our text. I just forgot to tell the 730 service what it was. So you guys get to to know what it is. Um, When I hear people talk about the heat in Arizona, I hear them say like one of two things. I hear them say either it's a dry heat, so it's not really that bad, right? Or they say, you get used to it, right? You get used to it. And I think to myself, how can you get used to 116 degree weather? Um, but the truth is that you actually kind of do, right? There, it, at first, it feels like this blanket of, of heat that's all over you. And then you sort of get used to it from, from time to time. Now, I'll tell you later how that relates to our first John passage. But for now, I'd actually like to invite uh, a, a volunteer from our kid uh, cohort this morning. Is there a kid that could help me out with something real quick? Yes, Ezra, come on up. <laughs> Woo! Love it yes all right this is a throwback to a dark time in our past when we used to have to clean the sanctuary in between services every time with these nice spray bottles uh, during the COVID era and um, Ezra actually I think helped us during that time with these every once in a while if I remember correctly yeah (laughs) Very, very good yes so uh We have mentioned in our passage today about anointing. And one of the things that uh, anointing comes along with in the scripture oftentimes is oil. And so there's essential oils in this nice bottle here. Ezra, I just want you to, if if you wouldn't mind, do kind of like a a lap or two around the room. And then spray as much as you can of this into the air. But not in anybody's faces. In the 730 service, um, I had Chuck do this. And I didn't think I'd have to warn him about that. But I did. So don't spray it at people, but just into the air. OK? Just around the whole room if you could. Yeah, All right, very good. Yeah, Ezra Very good. Just breathe it in, everybody. Just breathe it in. Yep, It's very good. It's good for you. It's good for you. All right, now just seven more. Whoa) <laughs> I'm just kidding. You don't have to do seven more. Just this. This will be the last one. That's good. That's good. This will be the last one. That's good. All right. Round of applause for Ezra. Thank you, Ezra. You're the best. Appreciate it. All right. You may have a seat now. Thank you, sir. All right. Anybody smell that? Yeah. One of the things that's nice about oil is it just kind of. Permeates the space; it permeates the room, right? And uh, and people use oil uh, because uh, it was a way of sort of preserving things. It was a way of sort of uh, take uh, claiming the, the the space. And uh, in scripture, we we anoint with oil as a way of sort of showing God's uh, blessing and purpose over a person. Uh, but I want to read for you just to start off this passage out of Second Corinthians two. Uh, Verses 14 and 15 that talks about a little bit about what we just experienced. It says, thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Isn't that a beautiful passage? That God actually uses his church as an aroma of knowledge for the world. And not only just something that smells good, but an aroma specifically of knowledge. And we're going to find in our passage here in 1 John that when we talk about anointing and when we talk about being an aroma for Christ that it's going to deal with the the knowledge that the Holy Spirit desires to share with the world. So let me give you just the main idea today in a nutshell. It's one of those sermons where it just helps to say from the beginning, this is what this text is about. And this text is about the fact that God anoints his people for his purposes to be used by the Holy Spirit to share the knowledge of Christ in the world And oppose the spirit of the Antichrist. Now we'll talk about what the Antichrist is and all of that, or what the spirit of Antichrist is. But God anoints his people so that the Holy Spirit can share the knowledge of Christ with the world. And we want to be used by God in that way, sort of like this aroma to Christ, but also this aroma to the world. Before we get into 1 John, I actually just want to share with you a couple of passages from the Old Testament that set sort of a foundation for what this anointing is. And the reason I want to do this is because many of us actually have heard that word before. It's like one of those Christian words that we've heard, but we don't quite know what 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 it means and I remember growing up in the church uh, I had never heard that word before and I led worship and it was my first time leading in the main service Uh, as like a 16 year old and I was going to lead in the main service and I remember this woman coming up to me at the end of the service and she said son she wasn't my mom but she said son you are anointed for worship and I was like I have no idea what that means but thank you and it sort of helped me go through the, the process of figuring out what some of these words mean. I know that she meant well, but I didn't understand what that word anointed mean. And so I wanted to know, what is it that anointing actually means in Scripture? And we'll start in Exodus chapter 28. So Exodus chapter 28, it says this. It says, for Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. And you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. So those three words there, anoint, ordain and consecrate, are three different words. They don't all just mean something interchangeable, thing, the same thing. Uh, but the idea is that Aaron and his sons are going to be anointed or they're going to be entrusted with the purposes of God, specifically as priests. And they're going to use coats and caps and things like that to put on them as a sign of the anointing. That They're going to, they're going to wear these robes and caps. They're going to be, sort of be immersed or covered by these things as a sign of God's anointing. Next chapter in Exodus 29, 4 through 9, it says, You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. So the washing was part of the consecration. And then you shall make, take the garments and put on the Aaron Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breast piece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. You shall set a turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. And then you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. And so uh, there, there was the use of this oil specifically to be able to consecrate or set apart Aaron and his sons for God's purposes. Verse 8, then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them, and you shall gird Aaron and and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them, and the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. So we understand so far that anointing is that God would call a person or persons towards his purposes and that they might use specific things like oils or uh, or clothes in order to, to consecrate this anointing. Psalm 133 says this, and it's actually a really short psalm, just three verses. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down the beard and on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now that image is a little bit strange to us, but there's the anointing oil that goes on the head, and there's so much of it, it abounds, that it just sort of oozes down into the beard, and then it keeps oozing down into the clothes. Like We feel like that's a little bit maybe gross imagery, but the uh, it would have been a symbol of it being God's over an abundant blessing on the life of the people he has set apart for service. And so the similar thing about the dew on, on Hermon, the dew just covers the mountains, that it's, the mountain is immersed. And so what we find with anointing is that there's an, an immersion or a covering of a person so that, that God's purposes might be executed in their lives. Psalm 45, uh, 7 and 8 says, Therefore, your God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. And so there's an idea here that there's sort of ways that God will anoint with different uh, elements. Uh, David went through this. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and... The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So there's now a connection between not only the the natural elements that God will use for supernatural purposes, but also there's a connection now between uh, the oil and the anointing and the Spirit of God. That as David is anointed, the Spirit of God rushes and is on David from that day forward. This happens for Solomon also, 1 Kings 1, 39. There Zadok, the priest, took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. And then they blew the trumpets and all the people said, long live King Solomon. So there's a communal element to this anointing as well, that God is going to use these people for specific purposes in the world. Now, if we fast forward to the life of Jesus, Jesus also dealt with this anointing. In Luke chapter 4, there's this fascinating passage where Jesus is actually at the temple and takes a scroll of Isaiah and begins to read. And Jesus says this, uh, uh, the passage in Luke 4 says this, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because, why? He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Again, the anointing of Jesus here going hand in hand with the Holy Spirit being on Jesus for God's purposes. And so what we get from this this survey of passages on anointing is that anointing is accompanied by God's spirit in such a way that it's a ministry outflow of God's spirit through the person for the world. And what we learn is that each of us as believers gets anointed by God's spirit for his purposes in our lives. But we oftentimes are distracted by that anointing, or sometimes we become too used to the spirit that we actually uh, cease to walk in the abiding of the spirit. Sort of it's like the, the smell that we had. Probably none of us are smelling this now because we've been sitting in it for a few few minutes. So you get used to it and maybe it goes away a little bit. It's like the person who wears a lot, a lot of cologne but doesn't actually smell it anymore because there's so much cologne that you don't smell it. Uh, this is something that happens to our noses. It's science. Look it up. This happens also with the heat. We get used to it. But what we want to do instead and the invitation from the Lord, the invitation from the Lord is for us to abide in the spirit That we might be able to continue to live in the anointing and discern between the spirit of Christ and the spirit of Antichrist. And that's the the main theme of our passage today. So now let's turn to 1 John 2 verse 18. I read it a few moments ago. 1 John 2 verse 18. John starts off with one of his favorite phrases for us. Children. At least at, he didn't call us little children this time. It's just children. I apparently we're growing up, and so that's nice. But John is not saying this in a, such a way that puts us down, but is, saying, is calling us this in a pastoral shepherding kind of way. That John seeks to help us walk and grow as those in Christ. Children, it is the last hour. Uh, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. A couple of things to point out just about this is, is that oftentimes Scripture will talk about the last days. Well, the last, hour is even more, the last hour is even more imminent. And you might even say that now since much time has passed since this was written, we might be in the last minutes in the sense where there's an urgency for us to walk in the purposes of Christ. And John is going to say that in this last hour, we had heard that Antichrist. It's interesting that it doesn't say there, the Antichrist. And I think the reason for that is that John doesn't have in mind he, it, here the, 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 the character mentioned in the, in the book of Revelation. John isn't necessarily talking about a specific person here. But when John says that Antichrist... He is talking about a spirit of Antichrist. So, John is making a distinction right away between the spirit of Christ and the spirit of Antichrist. That there's a way of thinking that belongs to Christ, and there's a way of thinking that belongs to Antichrist. Um, and the other, way, the other reason we know this is that John is saying many Antichrists have come. And so, John is indicating that those that have the mentality of the spirit of Antichrist will be called antichrists in the same way that those who have the spirit of Christ in them will be called little called little Christs that there that distinction between uh, sons and daughters of God or sons and daughters of the devil is present here as well and we might note also that antichrist while it means against Christ it doesn't have to mean exactly opposite to Christ But it might actually mean something that's very well and good, but that we have made into an idol in our lives. And so that word antichrist might just mean anything that replaces the good news of Jesus Christ in our lives. It might just mean for us that in this moment, we have placed our trust and hope of salvation in this thing other than in Jesus. And so that might be a desire that we have or it might be a longing that we have, or it might be um, a a possession that we're looking for, or or a certain influence or status, that at any point, something that would replace our hope of of salvation in Christ might be something that replaces the Spirit of Christ in our minds. And so John wants to warn us against this. In verse 19, John says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued... With us. And it's like one of those, uh, if anybody ever seen one of those uh, suspense movies where the phone rings and it says, the call is coming from inside the house. This is this is what's happening here. John is saying these false teachers have come from inside the house and they came out from us and people listened to their teaching because they were from us. But their teaching was false nonetheless and what I learned from that is that sometimes God will allow for false teaching to go forward so that we can hear that it's false. In other words, sometimes we're very, we're very concerned about uh, controlling and making sure people don't say, the, say false teaching, which we should look out for that. But sometimes God will allow for false teaching to be said so that we can hear that it's false teaching, it's like, the, the, how do we know that a fool is talking is that we listen to what the fool has to say. And the fool will, by talking, be able uh, reveal the foolishness. Uh, it's why the Proverbs say it's better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. It's because we, we oftentimes, by opening up and talking foolishness, reveal the falseness of our own words. And John is saying that that's what's happening here. For the false teachers, he says, but they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. And so John is going to allow for this false false teaching to occur so that we who have the spirit of truth can discern that it is, in fact, false. Going on in verse 20, John says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. And so just, again, the connection between anointing and the Holy Spirit, that you as a believer have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. And the connection there as well is that you have the knowledge of the Spirit. So with the Spirit comes the knowledge of the Spirit. In other words, when the believer comes to Christ and the Holy Spirit indwells the believer, there's a knowledge that the Holy Spirit gives to the believer. There's a spiritual knowledge. That we might have the discernible truth of Christ in us. And so this word anointed, it refers to the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is able to guide the individual into the will of God. By the knowledge that the Holy Spirit gives. And so when someone says that you are anointed for something. What they'll mean is that the Holy Spirit has a ministry In your life, according to the purposes of God. And that's a great compliment that we might be used by the Holy Spirit for that way. John goes on in verse 21 to say, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. In other words, John is saying, I'm writing to you because you know how to receive what I'm telling you. You have the Spirit in you who is able to help you understand my words. And so I'm writing to you specifically because you know the truth of God. And there's no lie in this truth. Verse 22, but who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. I love it when the scripture is actually very, very clear like this, which is this. The definition of the Antichrist is the one who lies and says and denies that Jesus is the Christ. The Antichrist is the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. That spirit of Antichrist is in a person if a person is saying that I'm denying that Christ is God. And so there's a sense where John is saying our knowledge about who Jesus is has a profound impact upon our overall knowledge of who God is in the first place. There are many people today who say that they are spiritual or that they know God but would not claim to know Christ. And John is saying that that's not enough. That if we don't know Christ, we can be as spiritual as we want to to think that we are, but that we will be liars and those who are a spirit of the Antichrist because we deny who Jesus is. If Jesus is not the Messiah to us, then, according to John, then we are liars who don't know the truth. And so all of us and we many of us know people like this who would claim to be spiritual, who would be claimed to know a higher power but there's a reason that the name of Jesus is the one that the, the, the demons fear. There's a reason that the name of Jesus is the only name under which by people will be saved. There's a reason by which Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. And that is that outside of this knowledge of who Christ is, we are not able to reach the father. And so the definition of Antichrist is anything that denies this nature of Christ as Messiah. We oftentimes like to uh, paint broad pictures about what the Antichrist is. And we we either sort of reduce it to funny little memes like uh, Torchy's the taco devil or like Sparky the sun devil from ASU We like to reduce the the devil or the antichrist to like little funny characters. Or we make it into this huge thing and think that it has to be the character that's represented at the end of the book of Revelation. But the truth is that the antichrists that John has in mind are oftentimes much more subtle. Are oftentimes much more pervasive in our everyday life. That rather than walking according to the spirit of Christ... We find ourselves walking according to the spirit of Antichrist when we're replacing Christ with any other thing that we think will save us or that we're denying the actuality of Christ as Messiah in our lives. And John wants us to warn about this. So 23, verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father. That's one of those places in Scripture where it's saying the same thing in, in, in two different ways. If we deny the Son, then we don't have God, the Father. If we confess the Son, then we do have God, the Father. They're a package deal. This is why Christ spent a lot of his ministry talking about how he and the Father were one. And that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That John intends to remind us of that truth in this letter. And that those who are spreading false teaching are not claiming the confession of Christ. Verse 24, John will say, go on to say, let what ha- you have heard from the beginning abide in you. That phrase, what you've heard from the beginning, is, is relevant for John because he opened his whole letter with that phrase. In 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, John is saying, that which you have heard from the beginning, which we have believed, that's what we have seen with our own eyes, we now tell to you that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the light and the life of the world. John wants us to rest and abide in this truth about Christ. That there's something so, so uh, profound about the truth of who Christ is that we can, we can rest in that, what we have been taught. And so he says it again, If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then too you will abide in the Son and in the Father. Some of you have heard of that phrase, mutual indwelling. That God indwells in the church and the church indwells in God. This is part one of these verses where we get this concept that if the word of God abides in you, then we too will abide in God. That there's this mutual indwelling that God seeks with his people, that God and his spirit would reside in the life of the believer and that we would find ourselves residing in God as well. And that we have that a possible to us because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, this anointing of God on the life of the believer. Verse 25, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. That if we've heard the good news of the gospel, if we've heard this from the beginning, the truth of Jesus Christ, And if we abide in this, that that promise will be made reality to us. It's not one of those if wins as though if we if we do all of these steps, then finally we'll attain eternal life. But it is that the truth of the gospel abides in the life of the believer in such a way that we daily are reminded of the life that it gives us. As many of us have said around here recently that we need to preach to ourselves the truth of the gospel on a daily basis so that we might abide in the truth of Christ and walk in the anointing of the spirit. we want to be the kind of people that are permeated with the holy spirit 's ministry in our lives and living in that in light of that uh, verse twenty six uh, John goes on to start to wrap up the passage. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. In other words, John pastorally wants us to know that those, there are those that would lie to, to you. There are those that would lie to us. There are those that would intentionally try to deceive us from knowing the truth. Uh, we've kept our daughters uh, somewhat um, sheltered in this, in this life. I mean, we let them hang out with you guys. Uh, which is, which is, you know, I, th- I think pretty trustworthy most of the time, um, except for when the call comes from inside the house, which maybe maybe is the case with guys like like Zach and things like that. Um, but but it's what but we'll, we'll, but we'll allow for it to keep going on because we know he means well. Um, my kids have absolutely loved being a part of this church in a way that would be a sheltered environment, sheltered in a good sense In the sense that we know that the Holy Spirit and the life of Christ is active here. And that this church is a place where the people of God intend to abide in the truth of God's word. And abide in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so my kids have absolutely loved being a part of this community. We also have encouraged them to spend time participating in community events around the city. For example, right now they're a part of this musical uh, just down the road at Fashion Square, uh, Moana Jr. And I, I remember sometimes uh, my kids coming home from rehearsal and repeating to me some things that they've heard at rehearsal, things that they had never heard before, right? Uh, phrases that maybe were surprising to them, uh, phrases that maybe they just didn't quite understand. And I remember Savannah uh, just sort of thinking like with, with just sort of mind blown because she's such an innocent kid. You know, she really is. There's things that she's, she, of course, is a sinner like anybody else. But, but she's an innocent kid. And I remember her mind just being blown that there would be people that would be out there that would intentionally tell them a lie, like that people would try to deceive you. And, you know, gently, I'm as a father, want her to... I don't want to break her sort of just like love for people in general because I love people too. But having a conversation with her about the fact that there are those out there that will intentionally try to deceive and that not everybody has this commitment to the truth of God the way that his followers do. And that even from inside the house there sometimes can be deception that is taught and it only increases the need that we have to rely on the Holy Spirit, that anointing and that teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, to rest in the Word of God, in the community of God's people, to be able to discern this Spirit of Christ from this Spirit of Antichrist. Because sometimes it's not as clear as the cartoon caricature for us. And sometimes, if we're not careful, our own self will try to deceive us Frank talked a couple of weeks ago about the, 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 uh, the pride of life and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes that deceive us. We talked a little bit also in the Wednesday night study about how uh, about how Christ was tempted with these things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And that we need to be, have a clear understanding in our lives of the Holy Spirit's presence and the word of Christ abiding in us so that we might discern when there is this deception going on. And so now just a few things that maybe we can do in order to have a pattern of abiding. Because John is going to wrap it up saying this. John says, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need of, that anyone should teach you. He's not saying that we shouldn't learn He's not saying that, we sh- that that he shouldn't teach. He's just saying that our primary source of teaching comes from God's spirit and word in us, teaching us the truth of Christ. He says that, uh, but his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And so I just want to wrap up with a few ideas about how we might abide in him. And the first is this is the way we spend our time. Time is one of the biggest resources that we have. In fact, you would, you would, you would, people would uh, argue that we spend all our time running after all kinds of other resources, but everybody has this resource of time. And it's limited. And we have all of these abilities on our smart devices to track how much time we, screen time we have and things like that. But the truth of the matter is that we oftentimes don't spend our time appropriately in terms of abiding in Christ and his word and in the presence of the Holy Spirit. That we might actually benefit, I know that we would, John thinks that we would, from spending consistent time abiding in God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the presence uh, of God's word in our lives. Now, how do we do that? Some of us could stand to spend more time actually knowing what it is that this book says. And I'm speaking to myself as well as one of the chief offenders when it comes to things like screen time. I have to remind myself that this stuff forms us on a regular basis. James K.A. Smith has a great book called You Are What You Love. Talks about the way that the world forms us while we're not being intentional. And that the Christian has to be diligent to be able to be formed first and foremost by the renewing of the Holy Spirit in our mind. And that comes with knowing what this book actually says. This word of God actually says that we want to spend time in his word. We want to spend time in prayer with the spirit. And we want to spend time, yes, with the saints in worship. That this thing that we do here each week on Sundays has to be. Just the tip of the iceberg in our lives. That it can't just be that we give one day to abiding in Christ and then six days to abiding in the spirit of Antichrist. That rather we need our daily abiding in Christ, His Word, and the presence of His Spirit. That the Spirit will renew our minds through these disciplines that we can do in order to help us abide in Christ. And so if you are looking for different kinds of, of disciplines, silence and solitude and fasting and service and, and worship and prayer and scripture reading, there are, there are folks in this church that would love to help guide you in those things. But the primary thing is that we want to ask for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to be present in our lives, in each of our lives, as we attempt to walk into the anointing of what God has For us, And here's one of the good news items for today is that this church, Redemption Arcadia, has leaders that are dedicated towards walking in that anointing, walking in the Spirit's teaching, walking in the truth of the Word, and committed to discerning the Spirit of Christ, even over and against the spirit of the Antichrist that we might face each and every day. And you can know that this is a church that seeks to do that been an absolute pleasure for me to be able to be a part of that this season. And I pray as Christ continues to walk with his church in Arcadia, that he would continue to do that. In a moment, we'll take communion. And as we do, just note that this pattern, this repeated pattern of the Eucharist, of communion, is a way of abiding in Christ as well. That we take this weekly so that we might recall That God not only one time for the sake of the world gave himself for us, but that that is efficient for us each and every day that we live. That we don't need to once, uh, we don't need to again and again and again sacrifice Christ for our lives, but that his one time, his one time sacrifice is effectual for us each and every day. It's not that that changes, but it is that we sometimes lose sight of that reality in our lives. And so we want to continually and continuously preach the gospel to us and abide in the truth of his word. And one of the ways we do this is by this rhythm of taking the cup and taking the bread. Symbols of his blood get poured out for us and his body given for us that we might re- recall and remember This salvation that Christ has given to us. And there's a way that we can abide, even in the midst of recalling his death, that helps us all the more when we recall and abide in his resurrected life in the Spirit. And so let me pray for us, and then we'll take communion. God, we're so thankful that you have called us into this life of abiding in you, that you have allowed for us of people who are unworthy. To be made clean by you. That you have set us apart for your purposes. That you have filled us with your spirit. And God help us by your spirit. Teach us to discern. The spirit of Christ. From the spirit of antichrist. And that God we might be a people. That are abiding in you in such a way that leads to fruit for your kingdom. And so God even now as we take communion. I pray that your blessing over these natural elements that you'd use for supernatural purposes in our lives. The bread and the cup, Lord, symbols of your body and your blood given that we would be recalling Lord, this salvation and abiding in the great work of Christ on the cross and the resurrection. And God, if there's anybody that hasn't yet received you, I pray that today would be the day that they would just reach out in prayer to you by the spirit and ask for you to come into their lives as savior that, God, there would be a confession of sin and a confession of Christ as Savior and new life filled with the Spirit. God, I pray a blessing on each person in this room as we respond in worship and that you be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen.